An examination was being held in little Emma's class at school, and the question in her class was asked, Upon what do hibernating animals subsist during the winter? Emma thought for a few moments and then wrote, All winter long, hibernating animals subsist on the hope of a coming spring. Should we really be celebrating Advent today? In such a seemingly hopeless world? Just because the rest of the world is celebrating, should we? Most of my life, there have been racial tensions in my own country here and elsewhere, continues. In our news, we hear of nations still attempting to fight against nation. We have Turkey and Russia at odds. We hear about captivity, hunger, refugees, Roaming the earth and winter's coming, and ISIS unabated, it seems. I was reading not long ago about some stats on another discouraging aspect of life from Covenant Eyes website. There have been about 1.5 billion internet searches for porn since the start of this year, as of September. Porn in America is a $13 billion industry every year. Nine out of ten boys are exposed to pornography before they reach 18. And about 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say they watch porn at least once a month. Yet, on the other hand, the Hilton Hotel chain has just removed all pornography channels from their hotels in the world in 85 countries. And you know what prompted the Hilton Hotel decision? Hilton's executives were receiving as many as 1,000 emails a week asking them to take that step. And a key factor in this development was that Hilton already had a policy against their properties being used for sexual exploitation. And I'll mention as well that the Hilton joins a short but growing list of hotels in our world who have previously made the same decision. Now, Hilton's decision won't eliminate the demonic snare of our culture in this matter, 
But it's a great reminder to all of us about the power of the email message or a phone call delivered winsomely in the cause of decency and human dignity. Advent represents a new beginning, a change from the things of the past, a starting fresh, a trying again. It's a little like a new baby in the family, like a new marriage or a graduation. In the church year, Advent is like, as I said earlier today, a New Year's Day, a starting fresh. We've all had experiences of discouragement and starting fresh. Moving from even hopelessness to hope. I recall back in 2003 when Judy, my wife, was diagnosed with cancer. There was this sense I wondered, was there hope? Her response, she never asked, why me? Rather, she had hope. Today, you may be questioning certain situations. Today, you may not be sure, as you say, George, hope for me. Hmm. I got to think about that. So I'll give you a few minutes. We have a few minutes. In the... uh, movie, I think it is, or certainly in the music of Carousel, there's a line that says this, walk on, walk on, with, your, with hope in your heart, and you'll never walk alone. The story that was read this morning from Luke's Gospel, chapter 7, which you can look at with me this morning as you have your Bibles there, is the story of hope. It's a story of healing. There are many stories of healing in the Scripture. Just to note from last week's text, you may have noticed as was read in the 21st verse of Luke 7, just in passing, I thought I'd remind us, at that very time, verse 21 of Luke 7, at that very time Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. In the context of hope, let's be reminded, Jesus didn't cure everyone. Many, yes, but not all. And in the context of what was going on here, the centurion, as we read about, caught word of this Jesus. Caught word of this traveling Jewish teacher. And it's a story of healing. Verse 1 of chapter 7 is very much like other parts of the descriptive nature of the scriptures, all right? So that you've got Luke, who's gone about, as we understand, later on in his life, after he made a profession of faith and put his faith in Jesus, he went about the community talking to the followers of Jesus, talking to the disciples, likely, talking to others 
who is this Jesus? I want to put a story together. I want to tell and write about who he is. And so, of course, Luke is a series of events and stories that he found in talking to people. This is one of those stories. But it's so much like other parts of the Bible where there's movement. So in chapter 6, verse 12, you have... One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And so you've got movement. He went out. Then in verse 17 of chapter 6, he went down with them and stood at a level place. A large crowd of his disciples were there and a great number of people from all Judea, from Jerusalem and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon came to hear him. And so you've got this movement in the scriptures as Jesus is... uh, active. That's very much like the situation of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. But as verse 7, as chapter 7 begins, we have Jesus making another move. Verse 1, when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. So now he's moving into the city from the country, moving into where the people are, moving closer to we presume, the centurion. And in the context of that movement, as Jesus moves about the country, the centurion has a sick person in his house. A Gentile man, he is, of some standing, a soldier, a leader of men, had a servant, in verse 2 it says, who was so ill he was dying. He heard about Jesus. And so he sent for Jesus. Interestingly, and I'll refer to this just briefly again, is a subtlety here I find. He asked some of his friends to go find Jesus. Now, this is a leader of many men. But he went and, first of all, asked the Jewish leaders to go find Jesus. Hey. Eh? He was very wise, as well as being a leader. He thought he might get a better take if he sent people who knew Jesus intimately. This Gentile sends the Jews to find Jesus. And as I'll mention again a little later, he changes his tactic. But we'll get to that shortly. But the person who is the center of this story this morning is one who understands authority. That's the point, I think. Just what do you have authority to do today? Do you understand authority as a believer? Do you understand the power that you have? What prompted the hope in this man for his beloved slave? What qualities of faith are required for a visit from Jesus this morning? What qualities are needed by us as we on this Advent Sunday ask Jesus to show up again? To show up here at Ebenezer. Please show up for us. The first quality we have, I find in verse 2, I want to suggest to you, the first quality that is 
suggested in the text is there was a need. Pretty simple, George. (laughs) There was a need. Consider as this centurion describes his servant. He uses the word translated in the Greek, a person, the master, highly favored. These two were very close. From the root word, we get this translation meaning honored or respected. So here is a man of authority putting in his mind one of those who serves him in the position of honor and respect. And he was dying. He was going to lose him. A person he respected and cared for deeply. Maybe he even respected him more than himself. That's the kind of sense of the Greek language. So he was valuable and precious. This morning we celebrate the birth of Jesus. For the next four weeks we do. Here's what Peter described this Jesus, who is the theme and the subject of this morning. Over in 1 Peter 2, 4 through 6, we find these words. As you come to him, the living stone, Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. That's us. That's Ebenezer. To be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scripture says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's a need. And I can't define or describe all of your needs today. I have my own. But this morning as we meet at Advent, there is a recognized need. And so he had hope. Just briefly, what did he hear? From Luke's gospel, we know that he heard several things about Jesus. He was born of a virgin. Pretty special there. His ministry was prepared for by John. We've been studying in these last weeks. He was tempted by Satan and did not sin. He had control over evil spirits and saw many healed already. We've mentioned that. And he had a small band of followers he'd brought together and was the teacher of great truth. He wanted his servant cured. Here's the man. Here's the place. As the hallmark expression we've seen and heard for years is, he cared enough to send the very best. As I briefly said earlier, he also decided to send Jewish leaders, elders, to find Jesus. Rather than go himself, and rather than send those who would obey him and go immediately. His soldiers. Whatever the need is this morning, maybe you have a need. And maybe it's even outside of the life of Ebenezer, it's a need for the lost. And those you meet day by day in your workplace, in your school classroom, who you know quite well and quickly have spiritual needs expressed or quiet. 
Do you care for those who this morning have no hope? Or do we just live our days without much thought? There's a need. Secondly, this morning from verse 3 and following, we have secondly the awareness of his own inadequacy. Get that word through. His own inadequacy. So here's a need, and I can't meet it. I'm not able to meet it. As the story unfolds, the centurion, realizing that Jesus was coming, asked him to come. Would you come? I've heard about you. I know that you can do it. Well, interesting is this, again, the progression, as Luke is wont to do, move through a sort of a, a stage. As the next stage occurs as the group, surrounded by Jesus, get close to the centurion's location. He has an idea. He realizes his own inadequacy in this way. If this man is who he says he is, if he is indeed some kind of a prophet, some kind of a person sent from God, maybe he shouldn't come into my house. I'm not worthy that he actually show up here. And as he was reflecting on this, he sent another delegation. Some of those under his own authority this time. And he said, you go and speak to Jesus. Meet him on the way. And tell him this. This man uh, deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built the synagogue. So Jesus went with him. Yes, verse, the next verse. When he was not far off from the house, when the centurion heard, he sent friends and said, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. But for myself, I'm a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes. And I say to this one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Tell him, just say the word. Just say the word of healing and go on your way. You don't need to come under my roof. Just say the word. You have authority. I understand authority. Just say the word. Let's look at that idea briefly, just for a moment, from John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. Many of you have memorized it. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the Word was God. What's John trying to tell us? Briefly, you know. John is trying to say to us, the Word of the Father, the way the Father, Creator God, speaks to the world, the way He communicates is through a person. Jesus 
is that means of speaking to us this morning as we begin to celebrate Advent and think of Christmas coming. The way God speaks to me is in the person of Jesus. A person rather than an expression. And he comes to me. But you say, George, I don't know if I'm worthy for this. There is so much hopelessness out there. I'm not sure I have the confidence in Jesus' ability to bring about a good purpose. I'm not sure. This morning, in a moment, we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you as we pray to say the word. Whatever your faith, whatever your stance of discouragement this morning, in a moment, I'm going to ask you as you pray to say the word. Jesus, I believe you're enough. On this Advent, on this new year, on this beginning again. For me, for my church, for those near me, I believe you're enough. A father told his son that he would send him to sleep in the attic with only bread and water for his supper if he broke the laws of home again. One more time. You're going to the attic. Well, the child disobeyed again, as you could imagine. And he was sent to the attic. The father couldn't eat. He had the boy on his mind and in his heart. His wife said, I know what you're thinking, but you must not bring the boy from the attic. It would cause him to disobey again. He would have no respect for your word. You must not cheapen your relation as his father by failing to keep your promise. To which the husband responded, you know, dear, you're right. I will not break my word. To do so would cause my son to live or to lose respect for my word. But he's so lonely up there. He kissed his wife goodnight, went up the steps, ate the bread and water with his son. And as the child fell asleep, he did so in his father's arms. We are unworthy of this word of this Jesus this morning. And our needs may indeed be great. Your needs may be great. But on this Advent Sunday, this Jesus, represented by this first candle of hope, is strong enough and powerful enough because His authority, His word, is ours. For anything that you're facing today, 
that I'm facing today. Let's pray and just say the word. Would you pray with me? I'm going to give you a moment of silence before I pray. Bow your heads. I'm not going to ask for any response this morning in a visible way, but simply in your own heart. If you have a need today that's unanswered, that's powerful, that's disciplining your life and controlling what you're thinking, as you pray just now, ask this Jesus, the Word, the authority, to come in and cleanse and heal. Shall we pray?